Morning, family. Everybody doing good? It's so good to see you this morning. I know that many are away and enjoying a time of long weekend, and some are just perhaps at home and enjoying a nice restful day, but it is a privilege for us to be together today and to join together. Last week, we launched our Come On In initiative where we asked you to communicate with us so that we can get to know you a little bit better and just, uh, just communicate better with one another. And uh, so we used this card, and as the announcement said, that these cards are still available. And uh, over a 1,000 of these were filled in uh, last weekend, and we really appreciate your uh, just communication with us and participating in this. But perhaps you weren't here last week, and today we want to give you an opportunity to do this. And there's two ways that you can engage with us and give us your information and just communicate with us. It's either you fill in this form and for us to uh, get to know you a bit better, you fill in what is asked on this form, or you can do it via our app. And uh, you go to the Hatfield app, and, uh, which you can download on either Google Play or on the iTunes store, and then you fill in the information. Now, I don't want you to forget to do this, so if you're going to forget, then fill in the form this morning, right now, if you can even. But if you're going to remember, and I don't know how you're going to know that you're going to remember, but if you can remember, it really is nice for us when you do it on the app because then we don't have to put it from this onto digital format and put it into our database. Then it's immediately in the database already. But it's more important that we have your data. So if you think you're not going to be able to do it on the app, then please do it on the form. We have pens that are available. If anybody wants a pen right now, then just put up your hand quickly and we'll make sure a pen gets to you and you can fill it in and then our pastors that are here will uh, take the, the forms back from you. You can just send it to your left if you've completed a form and they will connect them, uh, collect them at the end of the row. It takes a couple of seconds to fill in the form just um, so that you're aware of it. We want your name and your surname and then a cell number, uh, a mobile number if you can do the, give us that. Please, this information we receive we treat in accordance with the Poppy Act and does not, will not spread your information or anything like that. Please, we, we treat it with great confidentiality. Your, your date of birth will be great, and if you feel like you want to feel younger, don't. Put in the right information. Your physical address, please, if you can put that in. Your email address. And then um, a couple of questions we ask you. Are you a member of Hatfield Christian Church? We found that over the years that people think they're members because they come, but they've never done the life changes. And uh, so if, if you think you're a member, then put yes, and then we're going to let you know that yes, you are a member or not. If you're not a member, we're going to let you know and uh, invite you to come and do the life changes. We just don't really want there to be any misunderstandings on that. Or you can even say, I'm not sure. If, you cons if, if not, if you're not a member, do you consider Hatfield to be your home church? And uh, then you can mark that. How many Sundays a month do you attend? Um, so don't just say, I attend on Sundays. Give us an idea. I come every second month, every third month. Don't try and impress anybody. Give us the truth. Okay? So, because that's really helpful for us. Mornings and evenings. And then, uh, what do you appreciate, like, value most about Hatfield and why? And then, if there's anything you would like to see changed, improved at Hatfield, then you could also mention that. We really appreciate just engaging with us in this way, and it helps us in uh, getting to know you, like I said, but also being able to serve you better. And um, as we pray through things and get discerning from the Lord about what He wants for us as a community, this kind of information really helps us with that also. So please participate in that with us if you can. We really do appreciate it. If you're visiting with us, even if it's your first time and you want to fill in a card, it still will be very helpful and useful for us to have that information. 
So uh, you're welcome to carry on doing that if I'm going to share with you the word this morning and continue on with our theme, a body of heroes, and we're talking about what it means for each of us individually, how we are part of the body of Christ and our role and finding our destiny and our place in it as disciples. And you, you remember that for the year, our focus is a disciple's quest, and we're thinking about how to be the heroes of faith in this quest that we are in as disciples. And last week, we looked at the book of Philemon, and we had a, just this tagline from the, from the message was that, our, that the gospel must impact us in very personal places, but the impact of the gospel can never be kept private. It must affect our lives in a way that becomes very visible and even public to see for other people. Now today, I want to continue on and go to another uh, person or actually two people that are some of the lesser known characters in the New Testament that is so filled with many peoples and their stories within the context of the gospel. I want to talk about two particular people, and these people do get some visitation from us every now and then, particularly around Christmas time. When we read the Christmas story, we would mention these two people. But it's, it's almost May, so I thought it would be appropriate for us to not just as Christmas go and visit them, but to actually spend a bit of time with them today and uh, learn from them something. And we're going to learn a, a very valuable lesson. Now, that, that we're going to spend a bit of time in Luke chapter 2. So if you want to go to Luke chapter 2, I'm going to be reading with you from verse 22 and uh, onwards. And um, we, we're going to take a look at just how Luke wrote this portion of Scripture. Now, you'll remember last, uh, a while ago when we did the book of Acts, that we spoke about Luke the historian and how he recorded the New Testament narrative in a historical format to try and give us a historical understanding of how things unfolded both in his gospel, the gospel of Luke, as well as with the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So Luke, when he wrote, he followed some chronology and gave us information so that we could see how the story of Christ and later Christ in his church developed. And uh, here in Luke chapter 2, what he particularly focuses on is he gives us a little bit of a synopsis of the childhood of Christ, sort of the early days of Christ's life. And he tells us the story of Christ's early years with a particular reason. And the reason we find, because there's two, uh, a verse or a statement that is repeated twice in the Luke, Luke chapter 2. And it's this statement. The first time we hear it, it's in Luke 2 verse 19. And um, just after, uh, at the birth of Jesus, it is said that this happened. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. All these things that it refers to are the things that people were saying about her baby Jesus. She sort of put them in her heart for reference in the future. In Luke 2 verse 51, as the chapter comes to an end, it's repeated. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. This, story, this follows after the story where Jesus was left at the temple, and they tra started traveling home and halfway discovered that he's not with them and went back, and, and, and there were things that were said about Christ in that context. And again, the scripture said, she treasured them in her heart. I think all mothers do this. When their children get born and when their children are babies from small, they, starting putting, they start putting things in their heart about their child. 
Perhaps things that people say as they're trying to understand who their child is. How much more Mary would do this? Because her child had some pretty unusual things said about him. I mean, it's not every day that a young girl has an angel appear to her and says, you're going to be with child. And she goes, that's not possible. I've never been with a man. And he says, no, your child is not born of man, but of the seed of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's quite unusual. She put that in her heart. This was said about her child, that he would be the Messiah. Then she was at the birth, think about it, when he was visited Christ by the, by the shepherds and by the wise men. And things were said about Christ, and she would take all of those things and put them in her heart. As she was starting to come to terms and build a picture of what's really going on here. I mean, this is a pretty life-changing event for her. This is big stuff. I think her mind has never dwelt on this level where she's now asked to think about things. And she's perhaps struggling a little bit to come to terms with this and to orientate herself. And So every time somebody says something about her, her baby, her son, she would take it and, and put it in her heart and start forming a picture of what's going on. My mom has this habit of uh, building um, uh, uh, scrapbook uh, books for all of our children and for my brother's children. And he's got three, we've got four. So for all seven of her grandchildren, she does a scrapbook. And she keeps a record of their lives. Lives. What's wrong with my language this morning? I'm sorry. Is it okay if I speak Afrikaans? It may go a little bit better today. I don't know what. The bulls lost yesterday. It must be that. So... Um, so, so my mom over the years would just add a page and in every year she would put you know, a couple of memories and it would be like a treasure that she builds up and the idea is one day that they can each have them. I don't know if Natasha will allow them to take it. I think we're going to keep them. But uh, this is the idea. And it's the same as what Mary was doing. She was sort of building a, a, a scrapbook in her heart about everything that was being said about Jesus and thinking about all of these things. And I think Luke, at some point, tapped into this scrapbook that she had. You know, the book of Luke was written a number of years after the death and resurrection of Christ, as the New Testament was being written. So I can just imagine that at some point, Luke started interviewing some eyewitnesses to get the accounts and to get his facts correct as he was writing the story. Remember, his writing's inspired by God. It's the, it's the Holy Scripture. It's the infallible Word of God. But it's based on human experiences in part and, and, and many of the things that happened. And as an historian, he, he wanted to be correct with those. So I can imagine Luke sitting down with Mary at some point, if possible, and having an interview with her and, and saying to her now, Mary, Tell me about the childhood of Jesus. When did you think that Jesus was the Messiah? I don't know if he did exactly that question. But it's almost like what happens when some person becomes famous from a small town. And this person is now, you know, well-known all over the place. It, it doesn't take long, and then the, the reporters and the historians will go to the, the, that small town where he grew up or she grew up and start asking people that knew that person from young and say, now tell me, did you think that, you know, like if it's a famous cricketer, like did you always see potential in him for cricket? Or did you always see in her that she would, you know, invent this or whatever it would be? And it's almost the same. He was, he was tracing back. The story of Christ the Messiah. And as he was speaking to some of the eyewitnesses, they would tell of things that happened. And it's at that point where Mary would reach into the history and would say, you know, before he was born, I already 
was told that he would be the Messiah. And it's Luke chapter 2 is almost an account that he writes of that story of the childhood of Christ and the early development of this, the Messiah. So we're going to read from verse 22. One of these specific events that Mary treasured in her heart, that she remembered, that she mentions, that comes out by Luke, he writes, he says, this is some of the information that told us about who Jesus was, that He was the Messiah. And this event took place right around the time when Jesus was about a month old. In Luke chapter 2, we read in verse 22 to 24, if I can just read that with you. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves of two or two young pigeons. When a young man or a baby boy was born, and particularly when he was a firstborn, there were certain things expected of the family to do according to the law and the Jewish tradition. The first thing was that on the eighth day he would be circumcised. The second thing that happened was on the round about the 31st day after he was born, or closely after that, not earlier than that, but closely after that, he, the, the boy had to be taken to the temple to be consecrated. And this is the event we have here today. And then round about the 40th day or somewhere after that, the wife had to go and present herself to be purified. This is the event where Mary and Joseph now travels to Jerusalem from Nazareth. By the way, a trip that took them about five days of walking. So this is not just a stroll down the street to quickly go and do this. This was a big commitment. They traveled for five days, about 150 kilometers, if they cut through Samaria, which most Jews wouldn't do. So if they went around Samaria, it's about 190 kilometers they had to travel with a newborn baby. Off they go to Jerusalem. They come into the temple precinct, as many, in fact, all families do that have firstborn sons or sons that get born to them. They would go to the temple. And once they would get into the temple, they would look for a priest. And they would find a priest, perhaps there was one that wasn't busy or didn't have a line with him already, and they would go and present the baby to the priest. And then the priest would do a ceremony to consecrate this child. The ceremony would normally involve two benediction prayers that he would give. The first one would be the benediction of redemption, where he would say, say declare this child now being redeemed for the name of the Lord. And then the second, in the case when it was an older son, would be the dedication of the oldest son, the firstborn son of a family. Now, these ceremonies were very important and in ordered by God in the nation of Israel's history. And part of it was to make sure that they always remember God's claim on every family in the nation of Israel. You see, because the, when the firstborn son gets presented to God, that means every family that will get born in the nation will be represented and be dedicated to the Lord in that moment. And God had a claim on the nation of Israel and every family that was born in that nation. So here goes Mary and Joseph, come into the temple. They look for somebody to do this ceremony with their child, and they, they spot a, a priest. The priest they spot, we are told, is a man by the name of Simeon. We read about Simeon in chapter 2, verse 25. 
Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, it's interesting to me that the Scripture says of a priest that he was righteous and devout. Shouldn't it say it about every priest? Isn't that sort of a given? Isn't that the description of a priest? Now, what he does here, Luke, is he's saying this guy was even more righteous and devout than you would expect of a priest. This man had a higher level of devotion. And then he also says, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought it in the child Jesus to do for him what the customs of the law required. So just here, picture the day. The temple precinct, it's busy. It's many different spaces and places in the temple precinct. Simeon is busy somewhere in a place where he wouldn't necessarily have seen Mary and Joseph coming in with Christ. But as he's busy, engaged, working, doing something, we don't know what, the Holy Spirit speaks to him in a moment and says, you better make your way into the temple. You better get there now. Have you ever had a moment like that where the Holy Spirit unctions you to just stop, go a different direction, stop, pray for somebody, stop, phone somebody, Stop, don't drive this way. This is a moment of that where the Holy Spirit just came upon Simeon and said, stop, go into the temple. As he comes into the temple, Mary and Joseph comes to him by the providence of God, how God arranged this. You see, because Simeon carried a promise for all of his life, and he was an elderly gentleman. So somewhere around 40, 50 years, he's carried this promise. I will not die until I see the Messiah. So every day he's in the temple, thousands of little boys watching them come in with their families, perhaps sometimes thinking, I wonder if this is the one. Much like David was, when David was anointed, perhaps it's this one, and he passes by. Waking up in the morning thinking, perhaps today is the day, but then going back to, to bed tonight and saying, well, it wasn't today, perhaps tomorrow. And year after year, decade after decade, baby after baby for thousands of children, many, many years, keeping that hope alive, keeping that promise in his heart that I will not die until I see the Messiah. Perhaps when he first received that promise as a younger man, it was very sharp in his, in his mind. It was very clear for him. He was, it was very keenly understood by him. But as the years wore on and the wrinkles appeared, and the gray hair started coming out, perhaps the promise became a little bit less clear. Perhaps the promise became a little bit more dull and it just sort of folded into the everyday routine of life. And it was still there, but I don't know. If it was me, that would definitely have been the case. But he keeps the promise. He keeps. And on that moment, that day, the Holy Spirit says, go into the temple. And he sees the baby and by the grace of God, he says the following in verse 28. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, it has come to pass. It's happened. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
The child's father and mother, verse 33, marveled at what was said about him. Some more information about their child that they had to put in their heart, that Mary had to accumulate and, and, and orientate her life around. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So here she's receiving a little bit more information about Jesus and actually that it's not all great. That there's a, a negative side to the story. There's something that's going to impact her life in a very painful way. So when she sat down perhaps with Luke and, and he was writing down and doing his historical uh, gathering of information and research, she would say, I can remember when those words were said, if I only knew what they really meant. But right there she kept it in her heart, because this man spoke these words prophetically over Christ. But he wasn't alone that day. We read of another person in the same position, waiting, ready, expectant. This was a lady by the name of Anna. In verse 36 we read, there was also a prophet, some translations would say prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. This Anna, this prophetess, an unusual woman, if she got married around about the age of between 13 and 15 or 16, as was common in the day, she was married to her husband for about seven years, so in her early to mid-twenties, she became a widow. It would have been possible for her to get remarried, carry on with life, but at that moment, she makes a radical departure from normal life, and she actually moves into the temple. It was possible. There were rooms and places, and certain people had responsibilities and worked in the temple precinct, so she lived at the temple and spent night and day in the temple in prayer and fasting. Not the normal kind of life. She did this for almost around 60 years. 60 years praying and fasting. Waiting, trusting, looking. And the day came. She's walking in the temple and she hears Simeon speaking. Perhaps the Holy Spirit led her there. We don't quite know. But she comes into that conversation and she becomes the second witness. By the mouth of two witnesses, something is established. She becomes the second witness and speaks of Christ. And not only does she speak to the parents, but she starts talking to everybody in the vicinity and starts telling them, that boy is the Messiah. Everybody's focus comes onto Jesus, people taking selfies with the baby Jesus. It's the Messiah. Mary puts it in her heart. I find great encouragement from these two people, Simeon and Anna. Because waiting is one thing, but waiting with expectancy is quite something else. How do you do with waiting? How, how comfortable are you with waiting? Because I, I want to tell you this, that as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to become skilled at waiting. Have you learned this? Anybody here been saved for more than a day? 
and have learned that you it's if, uh, being a disciple of Christ is this very interesting dynamic for me where if I want more of Christ in my life, if I want to be a follower of Christ, it's a very active thing. Just the word follower means I'm following, I'm pursuing, I'm going after. Jesus said, if you love me, you love must love me with all of your heart. The scriptures say, seek me with all of your heart. Everything is involved. If I want to be a follower of Christ, it's not something you do on a Saturday afternoon on your couch. It requires investment. It requires pursuit. It requires leaning in. It requires wanting, desiring. If you don't lean in, you're not going to receive. How many, you know, think of the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus didn't say, just, just carry on with life. I'll find you. He didn't say that. He said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. For me to be a follower, a disciple of Christ, requires intentionality on my part. But with this understanding, that my intentionality cannot produce for me what God has decided to do. Because in His sovereignty, God has His timing and His ways. And while I'm pursuing Him, I must at the same time be ready to wait for Him. I can be in the right place at the right time to receive what God wants to do. But I cannot force God to do what He does not want to do or has never intended to do. But if I'm not ready, I may miss what He's intended to do. Do you understand the, the challenge between those two things? It's me seeking God with everything in my heart, but being content that He's quiet for a period of time. That, that in my life as a Christian, I'd understand A plus B doesn't necessarily equal C. It is not a cause and effect relationship. If I do this, then God will do this. Then I do this, then God will do this. It is not that kind of relationship. It often requires of me great times of seeking and crying and praying and frustration. And then out of the blue, suddenly God does something. Have you experienced that? If you haven't, we're going to pray for you just now. Because it's hard. So disciples learn to wait with expectation. They wait on the front foot. They wait on the edge of their seat. They wait with eagerness. But they wait sometimes for years. And this is the hard part because I can wait. But it's much easier for me to wait when I forget about it. If there's something I'm hoping for, if every day it doesn't happen after a period of time, I say, well, I'm going to carry on with the rest of my life. And if this is going to happen, it must not happen. Forget about it. Then I can live. But this living with expectancy is quite a hard thing to do. And that's what these two people were able to do. To such a level that that day when the moment came for God to reveal His Son in their context and midst, they didn't miss it because they were ready. 50, 60 years of waiting. As a young person, you can learn, and, 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 and there's many young people that have to wait. But can I tell you, this is not one year of waiting. I'm fed up now. I can't wait anymore. It's five minutes for my phone to restart. I'm fed up with life. I can't handle this. This is a lifetime of waiting. Of actually putting yourself in a position where you're saying, I will not be happy until that happens. Day after day after day. And are putting a life on hold. 
saying, I'm seeking, I'm waiting. What an amazing lesson. What an amazing thought. Wait. Wait for me. Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. We must have the capacity to seek with all of our hearts and to wait with all of our hearts. That's why the Scripture talks so much about patience. And this wonderful word, long-suffering. In the Hebrew, it's got many vowels. If you know, then you understand. Long-suffering. It's this amazing dynamic these two people show us. And I want to encourage you today just simply with this. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. As a disciple, he's brought you into a journey that is going in a certain direction. It's not going around in circles. You're moving. You're progressing down the path that Christ has for you. And there's things that he's taken hold of you for. There are promises that he has for you and for that, those that you are supposed to influence. God is busy with you, and you've got to pursue that path with all of your heart and intentionality. But at the same time, say, Lord, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. The psalmist writes, how long, Lord, must we wait? Psalm 40 and others. How long? Waiting is hard to do. I mean, when you pray about something and you say, Lord, must I do this? And, 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 and it would be so great if there were only two options that the Lord could say, yes or no. Yes, you can do it. Yes, you must do this or no. Thank you, Lord. I can move on. But what is the worst answer? Wait. What does that mean? What do I do now? I, I just want to tick this off and get it done. If it's no, Lord, it's okay. I'll still love you. Don't be afraid to say no to me, Lord. It's fine. I can handle it. Say no. Wait. But yet the Lord does it so much with us because it's in the waiting that He shapes us. Andrew Murray used to say that in the, in the place of persistent prayer, waiting in prayer, you are on God's anvil. That's a nice picture. Can you picture that? Anvil, hammer, you between the two. God swinging. It's in that place of waiting, isn't it, where we get shaped and formed. But it's hard. It's tough. But these two people got it right. And you know how they got it right? By the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the fact. Yes, come on. Let's, you've been wanting to applaud this whole morning, so let's give a good applause. I love it. That God says, if you will wait, I will make sure you don't miss because here was Simeon outside busy with something, and the Holy Spirit come and say, Simeon, get over here now. You will not miss what you've been waiting for, because your heart's after God. You carry on with life. You seek. You do what you have to. I mean, we can't go and all live at the temple. Please don't come and live at the church. <laughs> this is not the temple. You are the temple. So live by your temple. <laughs> we, we can't stop life and, oh, I'm waiting on the Lord. My children don't have food, but we're waiting on the Lord. No, the scripture says, you know, we engage, we do life, but with the waiting. And in one sense, we are all waiting. Aren't we all waiting for our Savior to return? 
We're waiting. But we're doing the business of the kingdom while we're waiting. But in that spirit, we wait. We're waiting as a worship team. Will you guys join me on stage, please? As a nation, we're waiting. And you can feel the difficulty that waiting is putting upon us. And I'm not saying our waiting is all because of God. It's often because of our own silliness. Let me put it like that. But we just had Freedom Day and I, I took a moment and I remembered that day, the voting and the excitement we had and the promise and everything. And, and it's, for many they go, it's now so many years later and we're still waiting. Has anything really changed? We're still waiting. And as Christians we say, Lord, but you promised. But we're still waiting, Lord. But you see, if we give up on the promises, then nobody holds them. Somebody has to do the waiting. That's why Jesus told the parable of the, of the five foolish virgins and the five ones, wise ones. Somebody has to do the waiting. And as his children, he puts that on us and he says, you've got to hold it until I can fulfill it. You hold it. Now, it may be this morning that you've grown tired of waiting. That it's been many years. Perhaps you're waiting in the context of our nation. Perhaps you're waiting for healing. Perhaps you've been waiting for a re relationship to be restored. Perhaps you've been waiting for a loved one to turn to Christ. Perhaps you've been waiting for a job. You've gone for hundreds of interviews, and, and you, every time you think, perhaps this is the one, and they tell you the position's been filled. Whatever you may be waiting for, it's hard work to wait. And I believe this morning the Holy Spirit wants to help you in your waiting. And, and I believe there's two things we can ask the Lord today. Firstly, Lord, fulfill your promise. It's right to ask that. It's right every day to say, Lord, you made this promise. I, Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on asking. It's better than saying, I'm going to stop asking. Because sometimes that's, I'm giving up. I'm just, this is too hard. Ask and keep on asking. And perhaps today if we ask, it will be the moment where the Lord says, this is the time. We can have that influence through our prayer and our faith. So I want to pray that. But secondly, we want to pray and say, Lord, if it is not the time of your visitation, give us the strength to wait and to wait well. Give us the strength to wait with faith, to wait on the edge of our seats, to wait on the front foot, to wait with expectancy, and to go through the processes with faith. I'm going to ask you guys, Chris, where's Chris? I believe we need to stir up some faith in this place because perhaps if you've waited for long, you know, the faith has come to rest. And I believe it's just right and proper today that we stir each other's faith a little bit. Is that okay? Can we be charismatics here this morning for a while? Uncle Sherry, is that okay? Thank you very much. Uncle Sherry gave us permission. He's been here one of the longest, so that's okay. We're going to stir our faith. I want to sing a song for a bit and just present yourself to the Lord and stir your faith. And then we're going to pray. Is that okay? Won't you stand? Lord, I pray for a release this morning of your people. I pray for faith to arise within us, for dreams and visions and promises to be stirred within us, Lord. If there's hope that has become tired, I pray that the hope will be strengthened, Lord. 
If there's passion that has flagged, I pray, Lord, that the passion will arise, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Just open your heart to the Holy Spirit right now. Say, here I am, Holy Spirit. I need you. I need you. And let us stir our faith in this moment. Thank you, Chris.